Hello and welcome, and thank you for joining us for today's webinar, Key Insights for Senior Leaders Driving BIM as Part of a Sustainable Resilient Strategy. My name is Charlotte Brody. I'm the Global Head of Marketing for the Built Environment at BSI, and I'm delighted to be joined by two experts during today's session. So here is what our agenda looks like. Uh, following our welcome and introductions, we'll go straight into our informal discussion as our panellists share useful hints and tips with you that BIM leaders can use with clients and board level executives to help advance BIM adoption. And then we'll close off with further support and resources to help you. So without further ado, I'm really delighted to be able to welcome Melanie Dawson, Director and BIM expert of Origin7. Um, and Melanie brings a wealth of practical hands-on BIM and digital construction knowledge to today's discussion from her extensive and varied construction career over the past 15 plus years. She's held a variety of challenging leadership roles over her career to date, including strategic management, head of BIM, Director of Digital Construction through to owning her own BIM and Digital Construction Consultancy company, Origin7. Her leadership has been fundamental in the delivery of many high profile public and private sector projects across the UK, focusing in on driving organisations to deliver by ensuring the right people, processes and technology are in place. And it's great to have you with us here today, Melanie. And we're joined by Rob Hine. And Rob has worked with BSI uh, for 29 years. Um, he has a wealth of experience from chairing summit conferences such as the European Commission and the Chinese government, um, presenting globally on product approval processes, and he's represented the UK on technical committees in the development of key European and British standards. And in his current role, he enables organisations to advance the adoption of BIM in order to become sustainable and resilient. Rob works collaboratively to help educate specifiers and procurement professionals on the value of standards, training and certification, such as the BSI Kite Mark. So it's great to have you both with us here today. Our purpose is inspiring trust for a more resilient world. And we work for the public good to improve, standardize and simplify business systems. We're independent and free from any outside influence as all profit is reinvested back into BSI to help us to continue support and drive further change. And we're here to help by serving our clients and finding new ways of delivering services to support industry focused upon enabling organisations to survive, stabilise, rebuild and become resilient. And our objectives? Well, we are particularly keen to help support all organisations wherever you are in the asset lifecycle, whether you design, build, operate or decommission assets. And we've, we are very keen to help support innovation, um, to help you succeed and to drive industry forwards. So moving on, I'll now hand over to Rob to start uh, today's discussion. Over to you, Rob. Thank you very much, Charlotte, for that introduction and a very warm welcome to everybody today, um, no matter where you are in the world or what time this is for you. Uh, and a special welcome uh, to Melanie. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Your experience as a leader in organisations adopting digital construction uh, has given you enormous insight into some of the challenges that this presents. I think it's widely known that client buy-in is an issue. 
and by clients in this context, I mean those who are responsible for commissioning projects, both in the public and the private sector. So in your experience, Melanie, what can leaders do to influence clients in regard to accelerating the adoption of BIM? Uh, great question, Rob. So I would say that the most important thing for any sort of BIM leader is to understand that client and understand really what information they need and how that information can potentially add value to their organisation. So I suppose the, the process starts by asking those simple questions and almost keeping BIM to one side. So teasing out um, the responses really to see what information they need, how long they want to use it for and where it would would potentially add the value to to the particular company. Um, I think once once you have those questions answered and you have that information to hand, you can start to look at how um, managing that information better would start to really add value to the organisation. So really, how the how the client starts to get. Um, I suppose a return on that investment by embracing this type of a change. Um, in terms of the impacts of actually doing this, then it's really a matter of just talking the client through the steps that they would need to take and, and the processes that they would need to follow. But again, there's lots of information out there with the, the UK BIM framework and the information from, from BSI, obviously, um, to guide them through that process. But Probably fundamentally for me, the one thing that I've noticed with, with every client that I've ever worked in in my career is that they've been fundamentally buying the wrong thing the whole time. So they've all been out um, spending lots of money buying sophisticated design and information to help them build their construction project. But that information often has a very limited use. It's not compatible with their future systems or there's either too much or too little of it. So they haven't been buying what, what, what has, I suppose, added the best value to their organization so so i suppose where bim comes in it helps them to buy better information um as well so it, it puts that structure in place so they understand what it is they're getting and how they can use that on a more long-term basis at the at the start of your answer there you, you mentioned sort of putting bim to one side what, what's your opinion of uh, of the term bim do you think think it's still valid today I think the term is still valid in so much as you know it, it has a meaning and it, it links to standards. And I think for people who operate in the in the BIM world, as it were, um, we all know what it means and how to apply it. However, I think from a client's perspective, it often puts them off um, because it's seen as an additional bolt-on or something else that they have to do. And um, perhaps because of that, I would typically try to avoid the term completely. So really what we're trying to do is to help clients with their information, to help them manage their projects. And as opposed to BIM being something that sits on the side, it should be something that is ingrained right across all of the processes of gathering that information. So I think to truly embed it in an organization and what they do, probably leaving the term to one side um, helps to do that. Yeah, it's an interesting one because um, I mean it is it is a kind of well accepted term, but I think the the meaning of it gets lost sometimes. I think um, I've often heard people refer to it as better information management, um, yeah. which may be, may be a way forward for that. And, and and the second question, a follow up question I have is, um, you know, what, what's the downside of uh, of clients having when they ask for data and and they get all the data because that's what they ask for? What's the downside of too much data? I have seen again clients in 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 the past, and they have done exactly that. So they're asked by um, perhaps a, a BIM manager or somebody like that what information they want, and 
at that point, they're not clear. They don't entirely know what it is that they want or how they're going to use that information. And it's easier to say, give me everything than it is to go through a list of things that, that potentially you're not sure what they are. So what ends up happening is the client gets everything. Um, they pay more than they need to for information that they will never use, essentially. So they, they actually become overwhelmed with all of the information. And generally speaking, Rob, they end up doing nothing with any of it because there's simply too much and they don't know where to start. My advice is all, always to find the bits of information that add value to your organization, even though they may not be embracing BIM in its entirety, to pick two or three things um, and do those really well on your first project is much better than, than sort of hitting the select all button and taking everything and then doing nothing with that going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Let's um, let's talk about the board. Always a good subject. Um, I think it's sometimes difficult to achieve support for the adoption of a BIM strategy uh, and trying to get that understanding at board level about what the short, short and long-term um, objective values of BIM can be. So what do you think leaders can do to influence at board level? I, I think the first step is, I suppose, around communication and it's understanding your board. And particularly, I mean, typically a board will be made, made up of, you know, a number of different people. And it's really understanding from those different people uh, what they want out of this. So essentially the what's in it for me factor for each of them. And again, typically you perhaps somebody's looking at the commercial side of things, somebody's looking at the health and safety side of things. We all have different drivers and different reasons why we want to, to change things potentially or not change things. So it's, it's, I suppose, having an overview of that board and then picking off the different areas um, where it adds value to those different people. I think once you've had that first initial meeting, I can't stress enough the importance of keeping up the momentum. So a lot of the organizations that I've worked for um, would have what I can only describe as initiative fatigue. So they've had people come in with this great idea to change um, lots of different things. They'll come in all guns blazing and then all of a sudden they, they just seem to disappear. So really I think it's important that once you've had that initial meeting you set up all of the follow-up meetings and you continue to, to have that conversation but it may have lots of different strands um, at that particular part. I also think in terms of the BIM strategy piece, um, I've always written my strategies in two parts. So one part I would call the quick wins and the other part I would call the journey. And I think the two, the two need to go together. So the journey piece is the longer piece, so it maybe runs over a few years. But the quick wins part um, is really celebrating all of the little milestones as you go. So perhaps you set up um, a project in a BIM environment, perhaps you've created your CDE in a BIM environment, it's celebrating all of those little wins along the way so everybody within the organization can see we're making progress, we're moving forward and we're on that on that journey. But it's very important again just to communicate all of that. Sorry, I can't hear you. Sorry, and those methods that you mentioned there are the best way of keeping the communication going? I think that I mean I would use all channels available so um, it may be sometimes what I find really effective is actually like a BIM action group so it's calling together all of the different um, I suppose senior people or leaders within the organization and on perhaps a monthly basis asking them so what, what have you been doing what have you been looking at and sharing that within the room um, and often what that does particularly within um, construction companies it almost creates that sort of internal competition so you know there's good things happening in one part of the business and the rest then starts to want to keep up so I think those type of meetings are useful but I would exploit all channels so uh, 
um, social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, celebrating the successes, applying for awards as well, I think is a good one. So if you've yeah. done something good, then then claim it and own it and, and share that with everybody else. And I think once your story becomes a, new, a good news story, lots of other people want to get on board with that and help you push forward with it. Yeah, so there's a, and there's a common theme emerging here from the first uh, two questions about making sure that when you engage with stakeholders that you're talking to them about the things that they um, that are important to them and that, that, that match to their drivers and to their strategy as well, which is great advice. Um, so you've got you've got buy-in from your stakeholders and uh, now you're coming under pressure to demonstrate value. So what's the best way to uh, to demonstrate ROI? Uh, what are the critical measures that leaders should be sharing at board level? For, for me, what, what has always worked well in the past is to be very clear with your metrics right from the start. So I think there's, there's the typical ones that you would normally measure for BIM. So it's about sort of saving money and um, driving out efficiency or driving efficiency into the organization, those kind of things, which are relatively standard. But I think it's really important that you count every metric that you can really to support your, your business case effectively for BIM. So that may include, for example, um, cost avoidance. So not money that we would have spent, but money that we've avoided spending. It may include um, the likes of training staff, for example. So, so in my experience, whenever I have set up, I've set up a number of different BIM tra training academies, but by setting those up and inviting different colleagues to come and train and learn about either the processes or the technology side, those people then feel invested in by the business and their careers are invested in by the business. So typically, if you were to do a survey then after the training and you ask them, do you think your company is invested in your future and your progress and the answer will be yes. So those are the, the softer metrics really, but for an organization, it's the people that make any organization. So if you can keep those people happy, you will get um, a better outcome. And the third area that I think is really important um, is on the technology side. So too, too many times I see organizations and they will rush out and they will buy all of the BIM technology and software and hardware, um, but they don't have the, the people and the processes in place, first of all, which is probably mistake number one. But the second part is they're bringing in a new system when potentially that organization has a number of similar systems that are doing the same thing. So for, from a metrics point of view, what you also need to be measuring is the systems that you're phasing out as a result of phasing in your new one. So again, that should be a saving that's shown on your on your return on that investment. So I think it's it's important to calculate all of those things really. Yeah, and uh, of course, the more more time we invest in educating at client level, the more demand there will be for uh, digital construction and demonstration of of BIM compliance as we know it today. Um, and I think you know if you if you're as a hard metric, that's a pretty good one. And if you're you're not in the game at the moment, if you're not upskilling and if you're not becoming aware of how to do this, your likelihood is that you'll be left behind. Absolutely, no, absolutely. And, and again, that's another metric really worth measuring is um, work that you've been able to win as a result of having your, your BIM credentials essentially in place. And that, that's a massive one. I know for me, there's been a number of frameworks, for example, that I've been working on and BIM was a pass fail. So if you didn't have those systems and processes in place, you simply wouldn't have been eligible to apply for that type of a tender. So it's, it's again, another really important metric. Yeah. You mentioned sort of um, a consistency of projects being important. Um, how, how do you do that? How do you ensure consistency of projects? In terms of consistency, in terms of rolling out BIM on that, I think what you need to do is to establish, um, I suppose, your standards and your baseline. So I would typically go to the, the British standards and I'd pick out the 
the first number of things that will add value to that particular business and then you, you try to build that up but i'm just a firm believer that excellence will only ever happen whenever you have a process that is repeatable and i think lots of people disagree with that because they're saying no two construction projects are the same and they're absolutely right with that we may have two buildings that look exactly the same on the surface but the site conditions are different below ground is different there's lots of different things that are that are not the same but what is the same is the way that we approach the project, the way we structure our information, the way that we share things. So that where there's opportunity to standardize, that's what we need to be doing. And that for me is when the excellence happens. And then I think the next important part is at the end of each project to learn what went well and what didn't from the BIM side of things and continually improve those processes. So, so we, every project starts to get better. Absolutely. And uh, you know processes and and um, and that kind of um, process-driven framework is is a really good way of ensuring consistency uh, yeah. and the standards, of course, the uh, the British, European, international standards that underpin yeah. those are, are a fantastic the, framework for implementing those. They do, and it, it should just become the way you work. So it's just part this of what you do usual. as an organisation. It's part. It's ingrained within your company, and it's applied right across a project as opposed to something that sits on the side. Yeah, that um, website you mentioned earlier, UK BIM Frameworks, a fantastic repository for information yeah, yeah. and actually you can gain access to those standards through that site. Right. Um, what about scalability of BIM? What does scalable BIM look like in best practice? I think in, in best practice, in terms of scaling it up, you need to start somewhere. So typically what I would do on a, on a new job or a client who hasn't perhaps started on their BIM journey, is to identify a number, number of projects that would be suitable for BIM. So normally I call these enabler projects because they are the, the first step on their, their BIM journey, essentially. And again, depending on the size of the business, but I would recommend more than one project, um, ideally, so you can get more people within that scope. Again, pick from the standards the parts that will add value to your business and then run, run those projects in parallel. Set a time frame. So typically I would do 90 days or three months and then at the end of that evaluate it. And so far, thankfully, it has always worked. But at the end of the 90 days, some of the biggest champions that you will have for BIM are the people who have been working on those projects. So I think it's it's all well and good me telling everybody that, that BIM is great and we should all be doing it. But when it comes from a site team or a team of designers who have you know suddenly seen the light, it starts to have much more more impact than just me saying it on my own. After Absolutely. the 90 days, then you start to look um, at the, the wider organization. There's no desire to go back anymore. It's always just about going forward. And normally then you write uh, the rest of the rollout plan. And I mean, normally the response I get after the um, sort of enabler projects at the start is, it's not it's not a matter of going back. It's how fast can we go to get the next batch in there and how, how quickly can we get this out, you know, across all of the different projects. So it gains momentum. And again, that goes back to the original point of, of keeping up that momentum you, you have to keep going back and being resilient about all of this yeah when, when you were talking about enabler projects there um is there a particular size of project that you would focus on for that or could it be a could it be a very large project as an enabler project you broke up a little bit there but i think i got most of the question in Sorry. terms of the, the the size of the project i would i would say the size of the project is all almost less relevant than the amount of bim that you plan to apply to that project so for example if you're just dipping your toe in the water and you're just at the start of the project perhaps it's just the naming conventions for example that you're trying to apply so whether that's a really big project a 100 million pound job or a 2 million pound project you will still have a ton of information in there so again it's not so much the value of the project i think it's the amount of bim that you're going to to put on that but again my recommendation would be to choose as different um 
as possible the projects. So whenever you're going back to the board and back to the rest of the business, you can show that it works on small projects and large projects and you get the same kind of benefits from both. Excellent. And and finally, I'm I'm conscious of time, so just a really quick final question from me about um, from from your expertise. What are the sort of pitfalls that organisational leaders should look out for and avoid um, in 2021 and beyond? I think for me, by far the biggest one is choosing the right leader. So, if you have um, perhaps already started your BIM journey or you're you know, well through that, or you, you need to sort of complete the last part, no matter where you are on that, on that particular project, somebody needs to take the reins and decide it's a concentrated effort and you're going to, to choose somebody to lead that. Typically, the, the pitfall that I see is organisations choosing somebody from within their organisation, um, and perhaps they're a full-time quantity surveyor or a full-time design manager or an architect or somebody, but they are a full-time something else and then you task them on top of that and it's an impossible task for anybody to do so by all means choose somebody from within your organization if they're the best person but be prepared to sort of clear the deck for them that, that they're allowed a, a good run at it and a chance to be successful there or choose a, an external person and bring them in um, to help you on the, the the journey and i suppose just to close i suppose my my other final pitfall would be just the order in which you do things. So I can't stress enough the importance of, first of all, engaging the people, making sure everybody is on board with this and they want to be part of it and they understand the value of making this big change. Um, the second point is standardizing your processes. So go to the standards, pick up the bits that are relevant, plan out how you're going to apply them and have your own standardized approach to, to doing them. And then the third one is to automate that with technology and only do the third one when you have the first two in place so you don't waste your money on technology that doesn't, doesn't really suit your business. Oh, Melanie, thank you so much for, for all that uh, insight. That's been hugely beneficial. I, and I'm sure that everyone watching today has, has learned at least one thing. Um, I'm going to hand back now to, to Charlotte, who's going to, uh, to summarise today's events. But thanks again for, 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 for joining us. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you, Melanie. And uh, thank you, Rob. Um, some great insight there. So uh, before we um, see if we've got any questions in from our audience, um, I mentioned at the beginning that we are very much here to help and support you wherever you are on your BIM journey. Um, we want to help you progress. So uh, I will now ask for our one and only poll to be run, um, to be launched today. Um, have a look at the options on the screen. Um, we'll keep this poll open, um, but essentially you may be uh, right at the beginning. So it could be that you want um, to gain access to the BIM standards and su subscriptions. Um, we do uh, train many, many individuals uh, worldwide and now have um, some great qualifications to support that training. So you might be interested in that or your supply chain. Um, certification whether you design or manage assets. Um, we award many companies globally with the uh, BSI Kite Mark. Plus also um, something that we've developed over many years is our Little Book of BIM, um, a very useful guide for people trying to get their head around some of the acronyms and the terminology um, in the BIM standards. So uh, just um, one question in um, for Melanie, which is really a, I suppose it's a very good one to ask, uh, particularly in the current situation. Um, do you think that companies can survive um, without embedding BIM? Um, I, th I think the simple answer is no, not long term. I, th I think all companies need to 
I suppose, work smarter and work more digitally. And if COVID has taught us anything, it's the importance of having information that is well-structured and accessible um, through digital platforms. And really, BIM is just an enabler for that. So I think um, long-term, it would be a smart move to, to embrace it and to plan your, your journey going forward. Absolutely. And uh, any, any great examples of ROI? where you've really, where, where people, I'm just thinking about people around the board table have gone, wow, this is absolutely what we should be doing. And this really is um, what's going to make a difference for us. Um, let me think. Um, probably, I suppose, if I, if I go back to one of the examples that I gave earlier, just around the technology side of things. Um, so one of the organisations I worked for, we brought in um, a large bundle of new BIM, essentially BIM software um, to support the delivery, but um, we also phased out lots of, of older software that was um, uh, that I suppose we had a duplicate purpose for, um, and it essentially made the investment that we made in the new BIM software um, close to cost neutral. So I suppose it, it meant then changing from the old ways of working to the new ways of working didn't have a financial impact on that company because we, we looked at it in the in the overall sense, as opposed to just um, in the BIM sense sp specifically. So we, we were able to swap out one for the other. So on an ROI scale, um, I think the return on the investment that we made on the new software was pretty much, um, we, we pretty much cost, we pretty much ruled out the investment that was needed for that, that new software. Okay, so one balanced out the other, so yeah. absolute justification, and then obviously greater efficiencies going into the future yeah as well um and one last question um from uh thomas thomas says how does bsi intend to use bim to ensure the competence of people working on a project so um really i guess uh, i can answer this very very briefly um but essentially um there are our training qualifications um, which are now available and these have been developed um from a, a request from industry to really um, ensure that anybody, whether it's somebody within your own organisation or whether it's uh, a member of your supply chain, has the competency that they say they do um, when they are delivering BIM projects. So, um, Thomas, I hope that helps answer your question in a, in a tiny snippet, but um, lots more information for you if you want to have a look at our website. We've got further resources. Um, so I think that brings us pretty much to the end of, um, of today's session. So uh, just to share with you some of the resources which we have, which are available. Um, our website, of course, uh, we also have a LinkedIn showcase page specifically for the built environment, um, which could be very helpful for you. And particularly um, our blog page where other experts within BSI um, write regularly, particularly around digital transformation, um, digital construction and BIM and lots of other kind of related topics, Internet of Things, smart cities, that sort of thing. So have a look for that. Um, and last year, we also ran a BIM talent management and career development webinar that was very well received, which again kind of explores some of those challenges from an individual perspective um, that could be helpful to you. So have a look out for those. And uh, really, there's there's nothing more for me to add today apart from to say 
thank you to uh, Melanie. Thank you for your insights. Um, great, great insights, great thoughts and, and advice there, really. Um, thank you to Rob for, um, for the informal discussion and the questions. And thank you very much to you, our audience, for joining us. Uh, and we hope that you will be able to join us again in the near future. Thank you very much.